Good morning. Helena and I are in Brazil at the moment. We're in a small community called Vitmarsun and we are here to minister this whole week preaching the gospel actually for two weeks in the Bible school here. They've got a grace week and then we're also going to minister in other churches in the area. But we want to welcome you to this Sunday service and I'm just going to give a short message to you. I'm just sitting here. This is Saturday morning and we are just sitting here in the lounge of the place where we are staying. And I'm just going to make a short message. We are about to uh, get leaving for a city that's about three, just over three hours drive from us. And uh, that's why I decided to make the message right now. Tomorrow is Sunday and I'll be preaching in a church in a little city not far from here. And then the afternoon we're driving back and the afternoon I'm spending some time with uh, the teachers of the school. And then in the evening we're also ministering. And then on Monday we're ministering every day. Some days two sessions, three sessions. It's going to be a very busy time. So uh, let us pray together as we start our service. Father, thank you so much that we can be here together. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the goodness that you show towards us. And thank you that I can sit here today and just minister this good news, the gospel of your grace to people all over the world. And thank you for this very simple but powerful eternal message that I can share with, with them. A message which is all about your love for us. Thank you that you love us, Lord. Amen and amen. Today I'm going to simply minister on the love of God that God has come to give us his life, which is the action where he gives his life to us, is his love. Now I'm going to read from Psalm 33. Psalm 33, Elian and I this morning were uh, doing our devotional and we were studying or reading Psalm uh, 32 and then I went on after that and uh, read into Psalm 33 and there's a very beautiful part that I want to share with you. It says here and I'm going to read um, let's read from verse 11. It says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In other words blessed is the nation whose God because these different nations had gods and uh, if there's a nation and his God is Jehovah. Jehovah was just one of the gods according to the people of that time. So blessed is the nation whose God is basically the father of our whole Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Blessed are they. And I want to tell you that blessed are you that God is your God. Blessed are you that Jesus is your savior. Blessed are we. He says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. So I want to tell you that God has chosen you for his inheritance. And the inheritance that he's made available for all of us is his kingdom, his very life. What we inherit from God is that which he possesses. And what he possesses is eternal life. That's what he possesses. And he's come to share that with all of us. That is what he's come to do. He says, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who lives on the earth. He forms the hearts of all. 
In other words, he's, he's working in the hearts of all people. He's shaping our belief. He's busy working in our hearts all the time. It says here, he considers everything they do. So what it's talking about when God considers what we do when he's forming and shaping our heart is not in a negative way. It is in a way wherein he is persuading us, speaking to us, uh, convincing us of what he's come to give us, convincing us that he can be our God, that we are his people, that he's called us, that we can grab a hold of him. Some might say, but Barry, how do you come to that conclusion? It's very simple. We just look at what happened in the New Testament and how Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. And we can find that this interpretation of the scripture is congruent with the rest of scripture and the action of God in Jesus Christ. Now it goes on. Listen to this. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. Isn't this absolutely powerful? And I think it is so relevant for today. No king is saved by the size of his army. Now try and explain that to presidents. <laughs> try and explain that to political parties. It is just impossible. People love to have big armies and massive jets and all those kind of things. It says here, the scripture says, the almighty God says, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. Now look at what the, the scripture is saying here. It's saying here that the Lord sees all of mankind and blessed is the people that have our God as their God, the people whom God has chosen as his own people. And then it goes on and says that God works in the hearts of people. He shapes people's lives. He's convincing people of who he is and that he wants them for his inheritance. And then all of a sudden the psalm writer switches over to a different tone. All of a sudden he's talking about kings and armies and he's talking about salvation that people can bring by their own strength and so forth. Isn't this a ba basically a weird thing? It is, well, blessed is the God uh, or the people whose God is our God, Jehovah, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what blesses them. Then he goes over to army. He says, it's not about how strong your army is. It's about who your God is. That's what he's talking about. And now he is focusing on the size of the army. And I think many of us, we have this thing uh, I'm talking about, not just in, not in us who believe the good news, but many of many humans, we have this natural thing is how secure is our country? How safe is our country? How uh, secure is our army? What does our constitution say? How strong are these things in place? How uh, just is our judges, supreme judges, all these kind of things. We've got our systems and we want that security in that system. But here the psalm writer says, man, blessed are the people whose God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about the army. And what he's basically saying is here is nothing can protect you against the threat of death. 
And that's what he's saying. The only one that can truly protect is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that has the power to raise the dead. That is what he's talking about. So um, we can just touch on uh, verse 10. It says, The Lord foils the plans of nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. So God has got a, a purpose. He's got a plan. And that is what he's going to bring forth. And blessed is the people that are his people. The people that has basically believed upon the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is not going to change his plan. He's not going to change his purpose. He is going to stick to his plan. Stick to his purpose. He's going to push through with it. And nothing will be able to stop him from doing this. And then it goes on, it says, No king can save, an, or no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes his great strength. A horse is, a, is vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. The eyes of the Lord are on those who who fear him. Now, let's just stand still there for a moment, and then we're going to explain that fear of the Lord and what the psalm writer says the fear of the Lord truly is. So, when we look at the horse, when we look at our own strength, when we look at the strength of our army, that is basically standing in a contradiction. It's a contradiction as pertaining to looking at God. That is what this scripture is saying. And it says here, blessed are those who fear the Lord. It says the eyes of the Lord is on those that fear him. The eyes of the Lord is on those that fear him. Now, being afraid of God is not what this passage is talking about. The next part of the verse explains what fear is. It says here, his eyes are on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. So, when we fear the Lord is when our hope is on his unfailing love. That is what it is. So, how do you fear God? How do we live in the fear of the Lord? Is by having our confident expectation on his unfailing love and what might, one might ask but what is this unfailing love all about what is this unfailing love is that a feeling in the heart of God what does the love of God really look like let's read verse 19 to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine now when we look at famine we need to look at what is the greatest famine that has ever hit the face of this earth. The greatest famine that has ever hit the face of the, this earth is not plastic, plastic bags, pollution, or any of those kind of things. The greatest famine that has ever hit this earth is to find righteousness by our own works. That's the greatest famine that has ever hit the earth. When we look at the Bible and we look at the problems that it addresses, it addresses uh, the temptation that came to man to find life by his own ability. That must be the greatest issue there is 
if that is what God addresses in Jesus Christ. We don't find uh, that the, the Bible addresses pollution. Pollution and those kind of things are just side effects of what the true problem is. God has come to end true pollution. He's come to end the true issues that is at heart. And that is that man is polluted by the thought of bringing life to himself by his own ability. Instead of relying upon the love of God to save us from death. We, the, the true pollution that there is, is that man's mind is so much caught up in his own ability that he's only strengthening his armies, he's strengthening his own ability, and he wants to stand in the power of his own ability. That is what it's all about. Even when we look at this war with Russia and America and all those kind of things, and even leading up to that, you'll find videos and documentaries on how strong is the army of Russia, how strong is China, how strong is America, because they're going to take over. And why are we interested in those things? It's only because we have not believed and put our hope in God. It's, it's because we are still thinking the strongest army is the one that wins. That's not how it works. It's simply not how it works. The strongest army is simply uh, the love of God towards us. And the strongest place we can ever stand, that's which, which will conquer everything, is the love of God. It endures forever. No army endures forever. The Roman army doesn't endure forever. Uh, the, the, I mean, you can go back through history and look at all the different armies that there were. They, there's a rise and a fall, a rise and a fall. But the love of God endures forever. It is, it is unfailing. It can never end and it can never fail you. Let's read it again. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. What is his unfailing love? Defined in verse 19. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. What is the famine? The famine is sin and death. Is to deliver us from death. So our hope is God gives us life. That is our hope. And the loving eyes of God, His eyes are on us who say, my hope is not in the strength of my army. It's not in the amount of money in my bank account. It is in God's ability to be kind and love us, not to deal with us according to our transgressions, not deal with us according to our sins. Uh, I want to just go to one or two other verses. Let's go to Psalm 147, verse 11. Psalm 147, verse 11, and then we're going to jump to one or two other verses as well. The love of God that endures forever. This is another psalm that says exactly the same thing. It says here in verse 10, this is Psalm 147, verse 10. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now it goes on in verse 12. It says, extol the Lord, Jerusalem. So how do you extol the Lord? How do you exalt the Lord? How do you worship the Lord? By putting your hope in his unfailing love. Now how will you put your hope in the unfailing love of God if you don't first believe that he is only a God of love? He's a God that loves and cares. And we find love defined as 
preserving your life forever, sharing his life with you. That is what this is all about. I want us to go to First uh, Corinthians. It says exactly the same thing. I don't have to turn there. You know it very well. It says love is patient and kind and all those kind of things. And then it says love endures forever. What is the love of God that endures forever? It is God's ability to save you from death, to have the hope and the confident expectation that He, so we have hope in His love. What is His love that endures forever? To save us from death, from the famine, and pre preserve our lives forevermore. That is what it is about. Okay, then I would like to go to Romans chapter 8. All very well-known passages. And then we're going to end off with uh, John 3. Just a very sh short message today. Romans 8 says the following. Talking about difficult times that the apostles were going through. It says, let's read from uh, verse 37. No, in all these things, talking about in nakedness, peril, sword, and all these kind of things. It says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor demon, neither thing present, nor thing in the future, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that there is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. What is the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus? Let's just see how John just takes Psalm 33, Psalm 146 and put it all together here uh, in John 3. It says here, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, or His only begotten, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's loved us so much that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to see that some people will die. He sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. The world is referring to here as uh, the Gentile people. All people. Exactly the same. This John 3 is just Psalm 33. Just laid bare. Amen. So I want to encourage you, church, that... The love of God, that, well, let me put it this way, true belief in God is those who hope on the unfailing love of God. True belief in God is those who hope in the unfailing love of God. Fearing God is to hope in His unfailing love, which is to save us from death, from the famine. To save us from death, from the famine. If we read the, um, the King James, I think it's Isaiah 13. It says, O death, where is your plagues? O death, where is your victory? Then he says, I will be your plague. Talking about God. God will plague death. God will plague what is plaguing mankind. And the way God plagued what plagues us is by raising Jesus Christ from the dead and now pouring out the spirit of life on us who believe. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, thank you that I could...
encourage you with this short message today. I want you to know that you are deeply loved by God, church. You are the apple of his eye. When God thinks of you, there's not one thought that he thinks of you that is ill, ill-fitting, where he wants to force you into something that doesn't belong. He's come to give you his life. He's only good and everything that he intends for you is good. Let us go and fear God. Let us go and fear God. What does that mean? Let us go and have a confident expectation that His loving eyes look upon us to preserve our lives, save us from the famine, bring forth who He is in us. That results, that, the, that which He promises, that which He gives is the fruit of the Spirit resulting eternal life having peace in the midst of everything that's going on in the world, knowing Him and having our identity in Him. It's a great thing to be humble and to say, Lord, by my own power, I cannot do it. And then we start to see what He then gives us. And then our identity is not in how weak we are, but in what He did bring us in the resurrection. And now we call ourselves new creation. We call ourselves the people of God. We call ourselves the very act of God's righteousness in this earth, wherein the world can behold how good and loving God is by looking at us, seeing how He has been merciful to us, how He ends the plague of sin and death, and how He brings kindness and goodness and generosity and blessedness through our lives even to the world. You are the body of Christ. <laughs> Glory to God. Know that you are deeply deeply loved amen and amen thank you so much that i could serve you with this short message today and we will then chat again during this week in the daily devotionals and then i'll see you again next sunday god bless